Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 168 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 2nd, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to go Dan Weber solo this week. Talking to Dan, I was actually out of town this weekend, so I've been uh, a little slow. I apologize for the lateness of the podcast today on Monday, but we're going to get it up here. and We've got a lot to talk to Dan about with this NCAA ruling that came down against Todd McNair. He wrote a great story on that. You can check it out on uscfootball.com and uh if you have any questions or comments we have a bunch of them today a lot of ncaa stuff as you can imagine drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com or call us 206-888-6755 and leave us a voicemail we'll play it on the podcast and answer your question without further ado we have dan weber on the line dan how you doing man doing good doing good glad you got back okay yeah Back Sounds in town, like a lot of uh, a lot of golf. A lot of golf. Las Vegas weekend. The golf is really windy. About forty mile an hour gusts on on I think Friday when we played. So it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty challenging, <laughs> but it was fun. We had a good time. <laughs> yeah, that wind got all the way here. That's for sure. A lot of wind last weekend. Um, well, Dan, there's uh, of course I go out of town and a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. happens, but something happened with Todd McNair. Pretty big news. Yeah, and I think it was what everybody expected. And, uh, and uh, you know, the thing you don't want to do, and this is, this is I know some of our uh, guys get, get discouraged or get depressed through reading it because it's like negative, you know, more negative stuff than that. The thing you, you, you hate to get lose sight of is what's, you know, happening to a guy, you know, what's happening to Todd McNair for virtually no, you know, evidence, no proof. Uh, no connection, you know, really to this case. I mean, when you see the other cases that have come along since then and you see the kinds of evidence and proof and connections uh, and what have you, and then you see what happened to him, uh, I know people who maybe, you know, haven't spent as much time with the case, you know, kind of wonder sometimes about, uh, uh, you know, the unwillingness to just let it go and kind of, you know, the NCAA separated it from the USC case, and should you just let it go? And I think we're so, con- you know, convinced that from every piece of evidence that we've seen, and I think we've seen it all and, uh, and heard and, uh, you know, and talked about, it's just so unfair, what is, you know, what's happened to Todd McNair. So it's hard to just say, you know, let's move on. Uh, and I, I know people think that way sometimes and say, gee, you know, this has been, you know, drawn out, dragged on for so long, and gee, it's just, it's just you know, really difficult to keep handling this kind of this kind of news, and we agree with that, and we just think, gosh, how long it's been for Todd McNair as well, but uh, our guess is that the NSA just wasn't going to be able to overrule based on all the mistakes. I mean, the more, I think the more flawed the case was, the more difficult it was for the NCAA appeals panel to overrule it because all it would have done was just open the door for, uh, 
for a lawsuit that, you know, you certainly think is going to come, and he's already suffered, Todd's already suffered, you know, so much in, in terms of damages that, uh, you know, just by saying that, uh, you know, they uh, upheld the appeal and take the penalties back and what have you, almost wouldn't have even come close to making it right for Todd. So uh, it does look like they're going to, uh, you know, just hang in there and uh, make him take it to court and see what happens, you know. And uh, that's been the standard pattern for the NCAA is kind of let somebody like that sue him. It's harder for the schools to sue him. It's, it's not as hard for the individual coach. He's not a member of the NCAA, didn't ask to be a member of the NCAA, uh, and uh, isn't governed by the NCAA's rules in the same exact way in terms of uh, where schools voluntarily uh, agree you know, to let the NCAA govern them. Um, you know, coaches and players don't. So there's a different standard uh, for the way uh, a coach and a, a player could sue the NCAA. So a Todd McNair, for example, will have a much better chance of suing them in, uh, say, a California court, and that won't be as good for the NCA when that happens. But uh, but it, it does make it difficult to have to keep focusing on, on, on that all the time. You know, I think USC's actually in a lot of ways moved on, moved past it, uh, done a lot of things that enable, will enable them to handle whatever happens and probably doesn't need to be focused on it all that much anymore. Uh, it is what it is, and whatever happens, you got to hope that, you know, in USC's case, just to, so that the straight story gets out, that uh, the NCA would try to do the right thing. But uh, based on their track record and the people involved, you wouldn't think that thought probably crosses the mind of anyone at the NCA at this point in time, doing the right thing. That just doing the right thing by the NCA most of the time seems to be doing the right thing for the NCAA, not necessarily doing the right thing. And that's where, that's where it ends up. But I think USC, you know, I think the fans probably and USC have moved on to a place where they're going to be able to handle it and they're going to be able to do fine. Uh, I just saw, if you know, here, here, here's, you know, we have people who think, gosh, it's going to take them 10 years to get back. Or, gosh, it's, <laughs> you know, the NCAA's whacked them so hard. Or, da, da, da. And then you realize... Who had the most draft picks, you know, through Saturday, uh, you know, in the, in the 2010, you know, from the 2010 season to the 2011 class of the NFL, USC ties nine with uh, North Carolina. Maybe not all that, you know, as high as some years. And just uh, watch ESPN, Todd McShay's on, okay? And they're tying in college football with next year's draft. And they said, what, what, what's your top five look like for next year? Well, numbers three and four, after Andrew Luck, obviously, number one, uh, kid named Couples, I guess, in North Carolina, number two, picks number three and four overall next year as is predicted by ESPN's Todd McShay, Matt Khalil, number three, Matt Barkley, number four, <laughs> two, two USC juniors picked. It's the third and fourth picks in the draft next year after a year in which they um, they led the, the nation or tied for leading the nation in draft picks this year. So for those of, you know out there who think, well, is me or, you know, will things ever get better? They're kind of getting better. How many, you know, how many other schools would like to have the, the number three and four pick next year after a year in which they led um, 
they led the country in number of draft picks for the NFL. Kind of, kind of amazing. It is pretty think amazing. About it. Some good points there, Dan. I don't think the the Trojan fans. I don't think are getting too discouraged yet. But there, we, there are some questions out there that they've sent in. Do you mind if we read a couple of them? Yeah, let's go for them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some of them are touching on similar things, but I'll try to um, stick to the topics here. Casey wanted to know now that Todd McNair has lost his appeal to the NCAA, it seems more than likely he's going to U.S. Congress. What are his chances of winning it? And if he wins, what does that mean for USC? Considering if they lose their appeal, it seems like when the decision comes for McNair in the courts, USC would have already served their penalty or are still carrying out their penalty. Is the NCAA just going to say, well, we made a mistake and we can't change the past? Sorry, USC, but what's done is done and you shouldn't have not, you shouldn't have let this happen. No matter how much the NCAA wants to separate the USC and Todd McNair cases, you can't. It seems like USC should go to the U.S. Congress and have a stronger case on it if they lose the appeal. I think that's going to happen. I think, I think the Congress thing is just happening completely separate from the USC case. I mean, I think, it, and I think it's interesting that the USC case probably, just because who some of the congressmen are and where they're from and some of the people that are heading, uh, at least two of the four committees that are kind of looking at it are, are Southern California congressmen. But I think what's happened is in the interim, because of the issues that have been, you know, involved schools from all over, you know, the North Carolina, Auburn, uh, Ohio State, who knows, maybe Auburn and what have you, or I mean Oregon, I don't know that the whole Congress thing is going to be a USC thing at all. And I think that's clearly the best way to go. Uh, That will be more a case of, you know, is the NCAA, you know, are they capable of institutional control of their own institution. I mean, let's face it, college football, college sports are in kind of a, uh, you know, scandal-ridden, you know, period where things look like they're getting worse. The more rules the NCAA passes, the harder they try to, you know, whack USC, it looks like more schools are doing more things. I mean, people were, you know, when USC got whacked, everybody said, that'll show everybody. Nobody's going to take any chances now. Look what... And look what happened, you know, since then. The two schools that played in the BCS championship game both look like they're in, in serious trouble. Uh, Ohio State, which, was, you know, got a pass to get into the or- or Sugar Bowl and won the Big Ten again, looks like they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, North Carolina, which tied with USC for the most draft picks, looks like they're in a lot of trouble. And in, in, in ways in which almost all of them seem more serious than uh, – in USC, I mean, and, and ways in which, uh, uh, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of institutional control anywhere in, uh, in college sports, uh, except USC right now with uh, the compliance department uh, uh, second to none, uh, which isn't necessarily a great uh, uh, distinction when you look at the one that they're replacing, which was the Ohio State uh, compliance department, which is supposedly second to none until they found out that there were a lot of things happening that Ohio State's compliance department evidently didn't know anything about. Uh, so I think the thrust of the congressional thing is not going to be USC at all. It's going to be, is the NCA capable of doing what it says it's supposed to do uh, and doing it fairly, doing it uh, without you know, depriving people of their rights, without depriving you know, schools of uh, millions of dollars uh, 
uh, you know, in one case and overlooking uh, the same kinds of things in another case. Uh, uh, one doesn't think the NCA probably is based on, for example, the new rules that they instituted Thursday for the both the infractions committee and the appeals committee, which basically said you can't compare any one case with any other case. Whatever happened in one case, you can't look at it and say, well, this other case is worse or this other case is similar. Shouldn't the penalties be similar? And the NCA effectively now has said no. And can you appeal that? No. You know, the NCA is just limited the amount of stuff you can appeal to, to, to you know, very, very, very little. And, uh, and they basically said, uh, don't hold us to any standards because everything essentially is apples and oranges. You know, you, you know, if we say you're an apple, the whole rest of the world's an orange, and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, that's it. Just your case is the only one you can talk about, and uh, we don't uh, have to be held to any standard. So I think USC, you can look at the way these things are going, and you can make the case both ways. You can say, uh, you know, what's happened recently tells you that maybe the NCA is saying, uh, because Essentially, from what we know, USC's entire appeal is based on a history of what schools have done and what kind of penalties they've gotten and showing how the USC case is completely out of line with that uh, in terms of the penalties for the, um, for the violations. Now, you could read the, the new rules and say the NCAA is clarifying, clarifying that now because they're going to let USC have have the appeal because they're going to say, okay, maybe we didn't have that clearly in there that you can't compare penalties and maybe it looks like uh, penalties uh, are comparable and we can measure them and what have you. I mean, they did a lot of things. For example, they said uh, the uh, chairman of the appeals committee cannot, uh, no longer is going to be allowed to conduct that press conference uh, on the you know the day that they uh, come out with the decision where he's allowed Paul D for example had an hour long press conference they're now obviously not very happy with how Paul D did that press conference because they're saying things like uh, you need a media savvy person to do that and clearly saying Paul D probably wasn't very media savvy that day because of some of the things he said and they're also trying to change I think uh, institute the rule that says. And whatever they say at those press conferences, you can't hold it against us because right now it's a little bit of a gray area that if the chairman of the infractions committee says, well, we did this for this reason, people are now appealing that and saying he was wrong. They're now saying it doesn't matter what they say. Uh, now, obviously, they can't change those rules for the USC case, although it wouldn't be the first time they changed the rules after the uh, fact in the USC case. So I don't know. Uh, I think you could make a case either way that the Todd McNair and the new, the combination of Todd McNair's decision coming out Friday morning and the rules being changed Thursday night, uh, a person could make the case that that's either good news for USC or it's bad news for USC, and you could take the same set of facts and, and, and make them work either way. So what does that tell us? We have no idea we don't. what they're going to do for USC. We really don't. Uh, I mean, if, you know, if you were smart and if you were sensible, you would say, good Lord, if you hold USC to those penalties, you're still, no matter how you change the rules, the NCA will still have to argue with everybody if they try to come uh, to go easy on all the rest of the schools that are in trouble right now. 
if it were me, I wouldn't want to have to do that. So in my own self-interest of I'm the NCA, I accept USC's uh, appeal. But that's not necessarily how the NCA has worked in this case. There are, are um, other things going on that, that I don't think we even completely understand, although we can guess uh, <laughs> what those might be. Um, well, hey, Dan, we got another question here. This is a voicemail okay. question. Simil- on this, a little bit similar, but we'll, uh, we'll let you hear this one. Hello, this is Tom Olson, longtime USC fan. And I've been wondering if um, USC should just hire uh, that lawyer and USC alum who's the only one to ever beat the NCAA in court and take the NCAA to court. I just read on your website about Missy Conboy, the Notre Dame staffer who serves on the Committee on Infractions. We're never going to get any kind of fair ruling with that kind of conflict of interest at the NCAA. Can we take them to uh, court in Los Angeles and uh, hopefully get a fair trial then? Can we do that? Uh, Look forward to hearing your answer. Goodbye. Okay, uh, Tom. Uh, it's interesting. I did talk to Michael Buckner, uh, the Florida guy, a USC undergrad, uh, uh, who specializes in these kinds of cases. I think I might have been the first one to track him down uh, way back when this when this first happened. And uh, uh, Michael is the only one that uh, has gotten them to give anything back on appeal in the last, I guess, 11, when, since they've changed the rules, and now they've changed them again. Uh, but since they changed them the first time, I think of the 11 cases, uh, one, one has gotten something back, and it was he was defending Alabama State, and it wasn't a big give back, but he's the only one who's gotten one. He did try to get the USC uh, business uh, and uh, didn't make the cut, he said. Uh, they have a law firm from Birmingham, kind of interesting. Uh, and uh, uh, I think... The theory that USC ought to go after him probably is difficult because it's a voluntary association, even though, you know, you have to belong to the NCAA if you want to have a college athletic program. But they still, uh, you get to court and they basically will say, you have agreed to be governed by our rules. And therefore, uh, we're kind of allowed to do, these are our procedures. Uh, and this is how it worked out for you, and too bad for you. So it's not so easy um, as a school to uh, uh, to sue, as a member, to sue the NCAA. You get to the coach now. These, these guys are not members of the NCAA. They didn't, you know, voluntarily sign up to be uh, uh, governed by the NCAA, and if they're deprived uh, and I think in California, it's not exactly a due process um, issue, but it's a fair process issue where uh, uh, groups like the NSA have to engage in fair process when they uh, come down with rulings, uh, for example, that affect Todd McNair's you know, livelihood, ability to earn a living, and that kind of thing. And I think in those cases, what you end up having is mostly the coaches or the, excuse me, mostly the lawyers that represent like the schools institutionally do not necessarily represent clients who are actually suing the NCA. That's that's kind of in the next um, uh, the next neighborhood over in terms of legal representation. I think Todd, however, may uh, 
end up with kind of a combination, um, uh, a team defending him. I think he's going to have some very, very strong um, Los Angeles-based legal talent. Uh, the way this is going to work, and it's probably a good thing for USC, because the cases have been separated, USC won't have any uh, control or say or involvement in Todd McNair's lawsuit. This will be Todd McNair against the NCAA. So it won't be the kind of thing where USC can be, you know, pressured, blamed, influenced, asked to, you know, do this or that or whatever. They're out of it in terms of Todd McNair's lawsuit. Uh, so I think it's going to proceed that way with um, with a kind of a combination of very strong L.A.-based lawyers and maybe uh, the kind of people that represent coaches exclusively and not necessarily represent schools. I don't think that uh, the kind of um, law firms that represent schools are probably not the, the same firms that are going to go ahead and, and sue the NCAA, and I don't see that happening as a as a uh, as a school suing the NCAA. I mean, it's been dragged out so long now. I don't think this strategy, that any strategy that would drag it out any longer for USC, would be necessarily a winning one. I think USC's pretty much done the best job you could possibly do to set themselves up to handle whatever happens. And uh, getting that over with, I think, is, is the way to go. You know, they've had two top five recruiting classes with this hanging over their head. Uh, again, the, the nine uh, NFL draft picks this year, the, uh, you know, two of the top four that we just heard today of uh, projected uh, draft picks next year and all that. I mean, and, and USC this year extended its lead over Notre Dame uh, as a school producing the most uh, – NFL draft picks and history and that kind of thing. So I think it's in USC's interest, interest to move on here. Uh, it's not in Todd McNair's interest. And I think the benefit will be Todd McNair can sue the NCAA kind of as a proxy for USC because it's a lot of the same issues, a lot of the same treatment, a lot of the same uh, inability or unwillingness or, or whatever to, to give Todd fair process uh, in this whole, uh, you know, proceeding. And, uh, and I think, you know, in effect, he will be making USC's case, but it will be for him. So maybe, you know, they can, you know, kind of have the best of both worlds there where USC doesn't have to be involved, doesn't have to, you know, worry how it's going to turn out, doesn't have to have people in the NCAA saying, why are you guys involved with this? And can create, you know, in USC's case, uh, you know, a pretty good working relationship with the NCAA. I mean, we're hearing that maybe the NCAA um, um, uh, volleyball championships will be at USC next year, and I know they're hosting uh, one of the other, uh, you know, championships here in the near future and that kind of thing. So USC is developing probably some of those relationships with the NCAA that they didn't have over the, you know, the, the recent past, which is probably a good thing. Uh, and no matter how we think about the NCA, you know, it does a lot of different things in a lot of different areas. Uh, but uh, but I don't see suing the NCA uh, is the way to go. You might hire that uh, Michael Buckner to defend you, but I, I don't think you would hire him uh, to actually go after the NCA. Hope that helps. Tom. Yeah, all right. Thanks for that one, Tom. Um, Troy75 says he really likes the way Pat Hayden 
has responded and you know the way he's doing things, going about things the right way. He likes that. But his question is, will the NCAA only consider the mistakes that the uh, COI made and not consider the actions taken by USC since then? Are USC's current attitudes and policy changes too little or too late? Well, I think technically they're not supposed to consider those. That's uh, beyond the scope of um, of, uh, of the char- uh, charge of the uh, appeals committee. However, you know, there are people, you know, reasonable, and they know what's going on. For example, I don't think there's anybody in the world that doesn't think USC was hit extra hard because the NCAA thought they didn't cooperate. So if you're going to go out and hit somebody extra hard, maybe harder than any uh, any of the you know bylaws and you know regulations and uh, historical penalties would say that you should, uh, maybe it's just as fair then to come back and say uh, we're going to take a look at you know the fact that you have you know really ramped up the uh, compliance department that you've gone you know the extra mile in everything you've done. Uh, you know, if a, you know, Dylan Baxter rides across campus, you know, he's out for a game, you know, the Ohio State kids sell, you know, stuff now. We've heard uh, the FBI turned over to Ohio State like $36,000 worth of uh, memorabilia that much of it didn't seem to appear on um, on the first, uh, uh, you know, information that was submitted uh, to the NCAA, but, um uh, a whole lot more than, uh, you know, the cost of a golf cart ride, and yet Dylan Baxter missed a game, and none of the Ohio State kids did, not yet anyway. Uh, so USC has been pretty scrupulous about uh, saying we're going to, you know, uh, be as uh, compliant as, as, as possible uh, to be in this world. And, uh, and so uh, uh, while the NCAA technically, I don't think, that um, is something they're supposed to consider. I can't imagine that they wouldn't consider it. Uh, just knowing that they clearly were considering other things when they came down so hard on USC, uh, even though they wouldn't admit that if you read the ruling, if you read the infractions report, they don't exactly come out and say it, um, but it's clearly the subtext uh, of that report was that uh, they didn't think USC cooperated it enough it's just it's pretty obvious that's what they thought so i think it's a good question okay uh, mark, what what uh, the answer is yeah mark wanted to know he wanted me to ask you that if since it certainly appears that the ncaa will not reduce our sanctions does that mean that ohio state will have 150 scholarships removed <laughs> from their football team usc with one player 30 scholarships versus osu five players times 30 scholarships well, I guess that would be uh, maybe if Paul D. were still uh, running the committee. I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for those who would like to see that mass continued, uh, Paul D. is, is no longer uh, uh, chairman of the uh, you know, Committee on Infractions, and he was the one that came up with that formula. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, Paul D., you know, that was one of the reasons why they're not going to let the Committee uh, uh, on Infractions chairman have that press conference anymore because it sounded like that one came out out of well off the top of his head we'll use that uh, uh anatomical uh uh location for where that came from 
And uh, he just kind of threw it out there and said, yeah, that's how many uh, extra, you know, players USC was able to recruit as a result of Reggie Bush, 30. So we just we just penalized them 30 scholarships. And I guess you could make the case with Ohio State that uh, uh, as attractive as those tattoos might have been, uh, just those kids wearing those, you know, uh, with those tattoos and all that might not have necessarily uh, allowed Ohio State to get 30 extra per player just a just a guess i'm being flipped here because the 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 craziness of the the first penalty for 30 scholarships based on that's what i just guessed that probably reggie bush attracted to usc and that's clearly one of the areas usc is is appealing and saying what's that that's not a rule that's not a a mathematical formula that's not anything the ncaa has ever used before you can't do that so you know We'll see if the NCAA can or can't do that and just pull out a number like 30 out of their hat. But um, but that's what they did. Uh, so we'll see uh, about Ohio State. I think uh, if there anything happened that's not directly involved with the USC case that affects the USC case, it has to be what happened with Ohio State and what's happening with Auburn and Oregon and what happened with North Carolina. That has to probably, I think, have more of an effect on people thinking, how do we, you know, how do we get ourselves out of this bind? Uh, the way we over penalize USC. Now, what do we do? Now, some might say, well, they already did it. They changed the rules. They said you can't compare any case with any other case. Mm, that may be the answer. Maybe they'll just say, yeah, we changed that rule. You can't look at what we did to USC and think about what we should do to Ohio State or, um, you know, Auburn or Oregon or whatever. All right. Apples and oranges. That's apples and oranges. Well, we had a lot of NCAA talk. We do have some team stuff we want to talk about, if that's okay. Good. Uh, Well, there was a little little bit of news with the the USC-Colorado game being moved. Oh, man, unbelievable. Now, USC's the uh, vagabond uh, class-missing college program in the Pac-12. That's two, two games next year where USC will be not playing somebody on a Saturday in the Pac-12 because the game's been moved up. The Cal game we already knew about originally, uh, killing the weekender, I guess, unless you figure the weekend starts on Thursday, uh, was moved to a Thursday. <clears throat> and then um, uh, now we've got the Colorado game, which there had been a lot of talk. And then originally uh, they were going to – the talk was they were going to try to move it to Thursday – and that clearly fell through. I think I think that was correct that they wanted to, and somebody balked. I'm hoping it was USC. And then now they've flipped it up to a Friday. On it's going to be on ESPN two. But again, that gives USC a short week. They play Stanford the Saturday before, and then they've got to travel. So, and both of their short week or both of their weeks where they're playing midweek or in in the week, uh, not in, on a Saturday, are travel games. They're they're road games. Uh, and it also guarantees, you know, you're in November, you're in Colorado. Who knows? The weather can't be better at night for a night game, you know, 7 o'clock uh, kickoff mountain time than, uh, than it would have been during Saturday afternoon, uh, I wouldn't think. So, uh, the, uh, so USC will be following up what should be a really big game with Stanford at home uh, with a short week to get ready to go to Colorado and play at night in November on a game that wasn't scheduled for then. Uh, so um, probably, and, and that'll be another day of classes missed 
for the USC students, uh, student athletes. So when you talk about student athletes and then you're rescheduling them as you go along to get, you know, another TV game, uh, it does make you wonder uh, how big that athlete part of student athlete is. Uh, and it's interesting that USC is a school that's being asked to uh, handle two road uh, non-Saturday night games uh, during the season. Uh, and I, I haven't, uh, we haven't done the research yet. We're looking at it to see if anybody else in the Pac-10 or Pac-12 now has to do that. My thinking off the top of my head is not. Okay. But just a thought. Anyway, All right. we'll see how that works out. But uh, clearly, one of the things we're hearing is that the end, or the, in the Pac-12 uh, so, uh, uh, seeking of a new contract, that the thing they're offering people is the most inventory because they play – you know, nine games um, in a row. I, I don't know if anybody caught the Oregon uh, uh, spring game, but they were showing uh, Oregon's schedule for next year, and the, the color commentator was uh, Urban Meyer. And Urban is going down the schedule, and then he went, wow, that's nine straight Pac-12 Pac games and no, no, no buy. Whoa, you know, we never do that in the SEC. He said, we'd put a, a double-A game, you know, one double-A team in there somewhere like halfway through. We'd play four, and then said, we, we never try that in the SEC. And he was, like, really caught by, here's, here's Oregon next. You're going to play, like, you know, nine straight. Now, USC would play nine straight except for the fact that they've got Notre Dame in the middle in, or, or in October, which, you know, we're hearing rumors that a Pac-10 – Pac-12 may not want that to happen anymore because they want all those games for their inventory so that they can sell as many of the, you know, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night games as they can, and they're going to make up in volume, you know, quantity rather than quality uh, uh, for their TV contract. That's just kind of the word on the street now. We're hearing it because we're hearing it from Utah people who evidently are not too pleased because they may be asked to give up their uh, Brigham Young rivalry game. Uh, the word was that the Pac-12 Pac was asking maybe everybody to clear out their entire uh, October-November schedules for nothing but the nine Pac-12 games, which would, you know, that eliminate the two dates when USC-Notre Dame play. That would be a problem if that if they're – if they push that all the way, I would think. But we shall see how this plays out. Okay. Uh, well, we have a question from Richard. Two things, actually. One, he wanted to get an update on Armour and Armstead. And the other one was, um, can someone elaborate on the comment about Pat Hayden's remark concerning bowl eligibility for 2011 and the potential reinstatement of some of the scholarships? I forgot about that, Pat. There were some, some comments made, but maybe comment on those two things. You know, the, the Pat Hayden one might have gone over my head. I know uh, J.K. McKay commented on his uh, optimism about getting the bowl bid back for this year. If uh, if Pat did that one, I, I had not heard, but I did oh, hear uh, J.K. I think that's what he meant, yeah, because Pat Hayden made some comments that he didn't really think they were going to get some Right, he, he hasn't said, so that I know, he hasn't been the, 
the uh, optimistic uh, public optimist optimist uh, but uh, JK was and uh, that was during the uh, uh, Trojan huddle and uh, his radio interview with 710 and I asked him about it down on the field and he just said I'm an optimist he said if they were going to deny us right away <laughs> they would why wouldn't they have done it by now now that he said that five days before they denied Todd McNair after going six months practically, you know, six months uh, for Todd McNair's, and they gave him nothing back. So I don't know if J.K. knows something or if he's just being, you know, optimistic. If I were the Pac-10 or 12, and I, I'll keep saying that till gosh knows when, uh, you would think the conference would really be lobbying to get that year back for USC, to get that bowl ban back so that USC is one of the school is eligible to play for the Pac-12 championship next year. Uh, which would make that game a whole lot more attractive if USC, for example, has a good year. And what they, what obviously they don't want is USC to win the South and not be eligible for that game. I mean, that just makes that game a terrible game for television. And, and you know, supposedly they've gotten $14.5 million from Fox for that game. I can't imagine Fox has given them that much money if, if um, – uh, the runner-up in the South is going to be in that game, but uh, but we'll see. Uh, but um, you know, I think you know we'll, we'll just probably see how that plays out in terms of being optimistic. I like it that J.K. McKay was optimistic about it, and I like that somebody said, "Yeah, um, we we've got a chance of getting those uh, uh, getting that bowl band back, and maybe some scholarships." And uh, then you know. It just doesn't. It doesn't cost you anything. And then, what about Armand Armstead? Oh, Armand! Uh, clearly, they weren't going to make a call uh, this spring. Uh, he looks great. I mean, if, if you just saw him, you would not think he's had any medical problems or medical issues. Uh, uh, he's pretty. By the t- end, the last time we talked to him, he looks good. At you know, he's out in shorts and shoes and that, uh, and he's uh, you know getting in his stance and running through, uh, you know, just starts and stances and, and running through some drills and things like that. Uh, he was also on Tuesday and Thursdays, he was using that time to catch up with the school he'd missed. But uh, he was feeling, you know, he was feeling great. He was looking great. He was sounding good, upbeat. Uh, you know, when you've got something that, you know, they have never used the word cardiac or whatever. They've always called it a chest issue. Uh, but when you say a chest issue, you got to be careful. You got to be conservative. USC's, uh, as, as we've seen with uh, um, Jarvis Jones and Frankie Telford, USC, and uh, you know the uh, uh, you know the cardiac uh, people are very conservative, and they're not going to take chances with kids. Uh, you know, could it have been? You know, and this is just totally off the top of my head because we really haven't heard anything, and we're kind of even with, you know, whenever we talk to Lane about it, he says the same thing, but could it have been some kind of weird, you know, virus, uh, cardiac virus of some sort that, you know, uh, caused some real issues for those, uh, you know, uh, he was not feeling well gradually through the winter, and, uh, you know, then it it uh, it really hit home hard, uh, you know, when he went to the hospital that night, and, uh, uh from what we hear, nothing has turned up on a test that they can say, okay, we think this is what it is. Uh, 
clearly they weren't going to, you know, even try to bring him back in the in the spring. How this plays out, you know, down the road, I really don't know. All I know is for a guy who's, you know, not doing so well, you know, in terms of he couldn't play the spring, let's say, he looks awfully good. I mean, he just looks good physically, and he seemed upbeat more so the second or third time we talked to him than the first time. So what that means, I wish I could tell you a little more, but I can't. I think that's kind of where it is right now. We're just going to wait and see, uh, which is what, you know, I think everybody's doing. All right. Um, and then let's see. One, let's, Martin has a question here. It's about the offense. Uh, he was a big fan uh, of the San Diego Chargers offenses of the late 70s and early 80s. When he looks at USC's roster on offense, he keeps thinking that USC has the same kind of people for that sort of run on offense. Do you think that USC has the right personnel to run that kind of offense, and would be would it be effective in college? Any chance Lane Kiffin would do something like that? I'm guessing he's, 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 I guess, was that the end of Eric Coriel, I guess? Was that That's, yeah, the Eric Coriel offense. I think that, that was the end of that, and that was kind of uh, a carryover from, gosh, the you know, guy from my uh, hometown, Sid Gilman, who had come out to the uh, the Rams, I guess, originally, and then the Chargers, and, and he was one of probably the maybe the original kind of you know throwing the ball vertical and you know doing a lot of things that uh, other people hadn't done yet. Uh, yeah, I think they're gonna uh, play to Matt Barkley's strengths, and I think they're gonna play to uh, the wide receiver strengths, and I think they're gonna play to the tight end strengths. And uh, if I had to guess, I think you're gonna see a little more shotgun. I think you're gonna see a little more. Um, you know, completely, uh, you know, spread out side to side. I think you're going to see, you know, more people catch the ball. Uh, I mean, I, I wish we would have seen in the spring how the combination of of six uh, five Cal Prater with uh, Robert Woods would have worked. Uh, that's the one thing we we didn't get to see, and how they would use that, how would they, how they would make that work, how they're going to force teams to make a decision as to how they cover those guys. Uh, I think we saw that they're going to do more things, line them up in more places, the tight ends. Uh, I think we saw from all of them, basically all four of them, we saw, you know, we see different things that make you think, hmm, okay, and that, that was probably an underutilized weapon last year. Uh, so, you know, if I look at it, I think something more on the order of, how Oklahoma ran, you know, their spread with, uh, you know, kind of pro spread passing game with uh, with a Bradford, and yet Oklahoma was still able to run the ball and run it well. And I think that's what uh, I'm thinking you're going to see, or or you know, uh, uh, what the Col- Indianapolis Colts do with Peyton Manning, uh, and still, you know, they're much better when they, you know, got a, a running back that can get the darting yards and what have you now. How much will they do that? You know, I don't know. And I still think we don't know for sure. I think they'll be able to do it better. I think they'll be able to work Baxter, Dylan Baxter in more easily as a wildcat. I think that'll, as they, they showed with just, you know, kind of running that very last play, he's really got a lot of, you know, poise as, uh, as he showed during the season and, you know, just a couple of times he got to do it, and he said, you know, in the spring game, he's a pretty big threat when he's a run-pass threat on the edge. Uh, 
because he's so comfortable doing it and uh, pretty darn accurate. Uh, so I think you'll see some of those things that you didn't see at all in the spring. Uh, the combination of them and how they're going to go from one week to the next week, how they're going to sustain everything, I think a lot of that's going to depend on, you know, how the offensive line shapes up. Uh, but uh, but I, I think it'll be a little more toward, you know, some of the pro stuff that you've seen. You know, uh, I know USC's always taken pride in, you know, we really run a pro offense. But USC's pro offense isn't all that much, hasn't been maybe as much like, say, the Colts or the uh, the Patriots or the even the – uh, chargers now as uh you know so now the term pro style offense doesn't necessarily mean you got a guy under center with a fullback um so uh I, i'm kind of interested i mean i think it's something to look forward to over the summer how that's going to develop i think they're going to listen to matt uh and let him kind of be part of the decision making process on offense more and uh, i think that'll be more a case of um, you know what's he most comfortable doing, and uh, and how they how they co- combo together the pieces in terms of all the wide receivers uh, tight ends, uh, and I don't think that we've we've seen an answer uh, yet on that, but uh, but it's a possibility I think that, that some of those things that you, those concepts that you you know you saw far back as maybe. You know, Eric Oriel, you might see more of that in the USC attack. Although I think the thing, the overlooked thing in the spring was they proved, I think, that even with the, the, the small, smaller running backs, they're going to run the ball up inside. And they're going to run it right at you. And they're going to run for tough yards. And, and they really showed they could do that. And that was, um, you know, from my way of thinking, that might have been the best thing that happened all spring. Um, Offensively, anyway. Uh, all right, and then one last thing, Dan. I appreciate you you handling the whole show today. It's uh, pretty impressive. Nice job. <laughs> um, but one more question we had from Dave in Tustin, class of 1971. Um, My neighbor. He was reading on the Peristyle about uh, some some Bruin alumni that were making accusations that USC players don't like Lane Kiffin and that he's a jerk. Um, he just said, you know, from. Dave was saying from everything he read, he doesn't seem that to be the case. It's certainly he's got a different personality than Pete Carroll. What what are your overall thoughts on how he's re, how Lane Kiffin is received by the players? Well, I mean, I think, um, uh, for example, probably the last place that I would go to read uh, uh, how Lane Kiffin is received by the players would be uh, comments uh, from anybody uh, on the, on any UCLA board. Uh, I was reading one the other day. Every once in a while, you gotta get to take a look at them and see, and and I think the general consensus uh, of the UCLA fans on one thread that I read was that they are superior going into next year at about 75% of the positions compared to USC depth chart wise. Uh, that UCLA had a better player there, so you know, take that for what you what you you know what you will. Uh, I think you know the way players react to coaches uh, is most is best expressed and best evaluated by how hard do they play and um, how much do they understand and how much do you, does it look like they want to do what the coach wants them to do. And uh, 
for example, uh, Lane has longer practices. I think in some ways a little more challenging, uh, certainly on some days. I mean, you know, and maybe they had one or two times where they, you know, weren't terribly happy, but those kids put out for Lane. I mean, uh, they've gotten more done in the winter uh, this year. Uh, I think they did a pretty good job last year, actually, but uh, they've gotten a lot done in the winter if you look at the weightlifting uh, stuff. Uh, I think um, uh, you just don't see them slacking off uh, at practice. You really don't see that now, and that would be the kind of thing uh, – uh, uh, you would you would notice, I think, if they uh, if they didn't want to do what he wants them to do. Uh, I think they. Uh, uh, I don't know that anybody hasn't accepted, uh, other than Marquise, one time the uh, the way they were handled in terms of uh, being penalized for for any issues or whatever. I think uh, uh, that's uh, that's been one of those things, and that's a credit to the entire staff. I think we tend to personalize things so much that everything's about the one guy, the head coach. And in in college football, you you know, and same as in pro, your biggest relationship often is with your position coach. If you look at the USC position coaches, they really have, uh, you know, some top-notch people. And uh, the relationships look really good there. And and what you think is, you know, if these guys are – who know Lane best, you know, the Ed Orgerons and uh, and Joe Barry's and – uh, you know, people like that are coaching, you know, with Lane and really wanted to be on that staff. That's and Kennedy Pola, for example, and guys that have, you know, really been around and have track records and USC guys and uh, NFL guys. Uh, that says a lot. So I don't pick that up. Uh, I just know, I think probably Lane got a re- reputation a little bit. Uh, when he was the wide receivers coach or the uh, basic passing game offensive coordinator guy. Uh, and he and Steve Smith kind of went round and round a little bit, and I don't think Steve ever kind of got on the same exact page, you know, with Lane in terms of how they, you know, dealt with one another, talked with one another, not that it, it ever hurt Steve Smith. I think he, he you know, had done pretty well by himself uh, at that position, and, uh, you know, a big part of that, you know, was Lane as his coach. Uh, and so I think these guys – uh, except the situation with, you know, who, Lane is who he is. Uh, and, um, you know, people could look at uh, uh, Alabama and, uh, and Nick Saban and say, hey, I don't know that any of the coaches or any of the kids are just like really buddy-buddy, friendly-friendly, happy-happy, uh, you know, when Nick's around. Well, no, they're not. He doesn't want them to be. That's just not how he coaches. And uh, not to draw that exact parallel, but um, coaches have to be themselves. And I think, you know, I think they, they play for Lane. They want to do what Lane wants them to do. Uh, they play hard. Uh, uh, they work hard. Uh, I like the fact that you see more of a sense of team now. You know, you see more guys kind of trying to help other guys and trying to motivate other guys. And uh, I think it's working actually fairly well. I don't want to pump too much, you know, sunshine here, but but uh, I would not take uh, take those evaluations, uh, you know, seriously at all. Uh, you know, we'd have to see a whole lot other a lot of other things happen before uh, uh, before you would you would say that's right. And uh, and you just have to, I think, in cases like that, consider the source. All right. Well, Dan. Great stuff. We appreciate it. we got a lot of topics to get to today, and you got to all of them. So thank you very much for uh, 
coming on so there. That'll and, be uh, too much of the NCAA stuff. People are finally, I think, uh, everybody's hit the wall on the NCAA, <laughs> including maybe me. Uh, but uh, but it is hard to just kind of pass over it when it involves Todd McNair. I mean, you just it, it it does really strike you as being awfully awfully unfair with uh, with what he's what's happened to him for what what the kind of evidence that they you know they say they they had even if they had it. Uh, and then when you see what's happened since then, um, it is hard to just let that go and say, well, you know, put that behind you. Um, because, you know, Todd McNair didn't deserve, you know, what happened to him. And uh, so I think uh, we probably won't give up on that one. But but I do think USC is in a position to maybe put put the NCAA stuff behind them no matter what and just uh-huh. move on and, uh, and, and still have a very, very good football program and, and really right away. And there's no reason not to. All right. Well, great stuff again, and we'll hopefully have uh... – happier topics to talk about in future podcasts. We'll definitely have you on. We'll keep talking about it, plugging away as uh, USC moves forward into the 2011 season. Thanks again, Dan, for joining us. Very good. Thank you. See you, Ryan. Bye. Right. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week talking more about USC football and recruiting. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.